them some basics of, um, of vocal technique. From the session that I did on um, Tuesday, Tuesday, well, earlier this week, um, I, I think that we'll go rather quickly through the material that's on the handout because a lot of it is uh, obvious, but still we want to bring it to our attention again. And then I would like to, for my private lessons that I've taught, I've had a lot of questions about what are some good basic vocal warm-ups. And so I'd like to kind of go through that for different voice types and then um, open up the floor for questions from you about um, challenges that you face with members of your choir or your own singing or whatever. And, and um, uh, spend our time that way. Okay, does that sound like a good plan? Alrighty, so uh, the handout is dealing with mostly vocal health issues. Um, what's the major difference between singers and other musicians? Our instrument. We are our instrument, absolutely. We can't put it in a case that's felt lined and you know and, um, and keep it safe. So we have to think of our instrument in a different way. We're using our jaw to chew a steak, um, not only to sing, and you know, is it a different way of using muscles um, anytime we're ill, or um, our emotions, or our, our um, amount of sleep, all of that affects our voice, and the way that we use our voice um, in our speaking and regular life as well. So uh, we have to just be a little bit more cognizant of those things and think of our instrument in a different way than uh, the average person walking around the street, right? Okay, so, um, to that, the most common problems with the voice usually stem from insufficient hydration. Isn't that true for everything? I mean, just it seems like water is, is a good thing across the board in our lives. And so um, we don't get enough liquids. We might be in an overly dry environment. Or certain med medications can also then dry us out a little bit. And we'll talk more in detail about those things a little bit later. Acid reflux tends to be more and more of an issue. I think it's a... A lifestyle thing for us. It has to do with our diet and the schedules that we keep. Um, habitual throat clearing or coughing is a problem. Excessive loudness or the amount of talking that you do or the amount of singing that we do and the environments in which we sing. And habitually speaking or singing outside of your range. Okay, so we're going to talk about all these things um, one thing at a time. Hydration. You just can never have too much water, you know. Just I, I recommend really kind of keeping a bottle of water at hand all the time, and I need to listen to myself a little bit better about that, too. Um, there are certain liquids that are very drying, caffeine and alcohol being the two primary examples of that. So if you've just got to have your morning <coughs> coffee, well, have it, but then be sure and drink quite a bit of water in addition to that, because that caffeine will dry out your tissues in general, and then specifically your vocal folds, and when your vocal folds are dry, they will thicken. Basically, singing and vocal health comes down to mucus management. <laughs> you know, you can't talk to singers for very long without the subject going to mucus. <laughs> you know, and but it really is true. A healthy, and you're you're about to sit in that scary chair. <laughs> Here's a good one. Okay, we've got one more good one So basically, we want a nice thin coating of mucus. On our, on our larynx and our vocal folds to be, for everything to be able to work like it's supposed to. So if that mucus is too thick, then we start to have problems, okay? So that more and more water, exactly. That's the main thing that you can do. People think, okay, I've got a performance tonight, so I'm gonna 
chug water all day long. Well, okay, but that's a little bit too late. It really has to be a lifestyle thing because you're wanting to hydrate your entire body. So a good test for you is if your skin is dry, then your, your throat is probably dry too, even before you really notice it. Okay, so some other things that uh, can cause drying. If there's direct air on your face, if you think about it, if you've had a spill on the carpet or something, if you put a fan on that spill, it's going to dry it out, right? So the same way with us, if you um, just pay attention to your environment, and when you get into bed at night, is there, is there air blowing directly on your face from any sort of vent, or heaven forbid you sleep under a ceiling fan? I mean, I know, I've reached the point in life where, you know, and so I just need air circulating. I can't stand it if air's not circulating, but I'm trying to make sure it's not on my face. Yeah, that's the main thing. And then even worse, heat during the winter. If you've got, um, uh, you know, the, the heat is being passed over hot, that air is being passed over hot coils and drying out even more. Yeah, so that's, um, that's even worse for us. So just be aware. You may be sitting at your computer at the office and realize, well, wow, there's a vent right on me. So see if you can redirect those so you're still getting the benefit of the temperature change, but maybe not going directly on your face so much. Okay, um, what other environments are really, really drying? The worst is the airplane, the very worst. You know, they're drying that air out so much in that environment. Um, we as singers tend to do strange things, and so you won't mind looking a little weird. Um, but. I, I've tried this recently. I had, a, I had to go to Europe and I had to sing almost immediately. We can find a chair. There's some, we need some additional seating. Goodness, a lot of you got up early. That's not a question. Oh. <laughs> We're going to try to use that chair. Before you fly, lots of water. While you're on the plane, water. After you get off the plane, water. You know, um, try to try to combat that as much as you can. A humidifier is a wonderful thing. Vaporizers, not so much. Uh, the cool air humidifier is better. But if you use that, I recommend getting a really small one and doing kind of single usage. You know, use it one time, then clean it out because the danger of that is that that water sits around long and you get mold then you just create a different situation for yourself. But again, as much moisture as you can keep in the air is a great thing. Okay, acid reflux. Some of the common symptoms I've listed for you here, hoarseness or a chronic cough or frequent throat clearing, um, and all that results then in swollen vocal folds. So your vocal folds are not only swollen from, well, first of all, let's talk about what reflux is. It's the acid from your stomach that has backed back up um, your esophagus. And our stomachs are lined with a very, you know, a special lining that can withstand that acid. Your esophagus not, is not. So when that acid backs up, it literally can burn through the esophagus and, and get to the trachea and get to the vocal folds. 
and um, I've seen pictures of people those vocals look like raw hamburger meat. I mean, just bright, bright red because they're basically burning from the acid. And this is um, not obviously not anything that you want in general. But if you're trying to use your voice as a singer, it's just devastating. Um, so hoarseness or, or chronic coughing, you've already got the acid burning and then you're coughing and clearing your throat and so it's all just, you know, making things worse and so that ends up swollen vocal folds. If you have a pain or even a sensation of having a lump in your throat, there's just always kind of something there that might be a symptom of, of acid reflux. Obviously heartburn sensation because that's exactly what's happening is packing back up and burning. And even a bad, bitter, or, or metallic, kind of tinny taste in your mouth first thing in the morning when you wake up, that can be evidence of acid reflux. Um, as far as signs that you would see in your singing, there would be a decrease in your range, especially um, not able to get to the high notes as well anymore because, and the logical reason is, your vocal folds have to thin out and lengthen in order to reach those high notes. So if they're swollen, um, you won't have as much of a, a range up there. So those are some symptoms. If you notice that, um, you know, get to a doctor and, and get some help. The um, solutions that they will come up, there's wonderful medication for it, first of all. Um, but also, um, you know, watching your diet. So spicy foods are a no-no. And eating late at night. Can you imagine how much we deal with the college students I mean, 2 a.m. pizza is a way of life, you know. It's, it's the best thing to do sometimes. And, um, and so that's not good. <laughs> so um, you want to try to watch, um, keep the spicy foods earlier in the day if you must have that spice. Um, and then try really just not to eat anything for several hours before bedtime. Um, interestingly enough, again, alcohol and caffeine can exacerbate the situation. Nicotine, very bad. Um, bad for all sorts of reasons, but also the sphincter that separates your stomach from your esophagus that should be shutting off and not allowing that acid to back back up, that sphincter is relaxed by nicotine and by peppermint. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that was a new one to me and very disappointing because I do love my peppermint. Um, so, but that will relax that sphincter and if you already have a little bit of problems with acid reflux, those are some things that you want to avoid. Um, but the doctors, you know, it's such a common thing now, again, I think because of the stress level and because of our diets and our schedules and that we're eating late at night, um, you know, they're dealing with it a lot and they've gotten some good um, treatments for it, cures for it. Okay, chocolate's another one. <laughs> I want to steal all our fun. Okay, habitual throat clearing. So, this can start and you don't even, you know, you're not even aware of it. You have a little bit of a cold, a little bit of something going on, and you kind of just get in the habit of clearing. It's almost irresistible. If you feel like something, and you just got to clear that out, you know. And then suddenly it's a habit. I have a student who um, was, I was vocalizing the other day, and she would go, ooh, <clears throat> ooh, <clears throat> ooh, and she was clearing her throat after every one of them. And I said, Okay, either you've always been doing that and it's just now registering with me or this is a new problem, but stop that. You know, and she had no idea she was doing it. And so I think at some point she had just kind of gotten used to always having a little bit of phlegm in there and needing to clear it off when she was singing. So even when she didn't have phlegm, she was now in the habit of clearing. It's one of the very worst things that you can do for your voice. Um, you're basically just putting those vocal folds together as tight as you can and, and grinding them. And they're pretty delicate, you know, so you don't want to do that. Even worse is coughing. So 
Everything you can do to avoid clearing your throat and coughing is a good thing. So one of the things, you can take a full, big old swig of water, just a full mouth of water, and swallow down as hard as you can. Uh, that brings those ventricular folds together, and it'll help kind of clear off any, any sort of phlegm. Of course, the water is not going over your vocal folds. Your vocal folds are over your trachea, but the swallowing action will bring the ventricular folds together, which will then help kind of uh, clear off anything that's on the vocal folds, okay? Um, all the things about, well, should it be hot water or cold water, that's, it really is not, well, the water is not going over your vocal folds. So it's, it's your preference, you know, in the summer, I don't want to drink hot water, I'm going to drink cold water. Um, and lemon on my tea, well, but the tea is caffeine, so, you know, and is the honey going to help? You know, all those things are probably more psychological, and so if it helps you on the psychological front, do it. Uh, but the, the liquid portion of that is, the, is what's good about it. Yeah, and the caffeine portion, not so good. Okay. Um, other ways, I mean, keep throat lozenges close by. If you're just, just getting over a couple of those vitamin C drops, are wonderful. Just keep yourself lubricated, you know, and if you're, if you're going to be talking a lot, uh, try to make sure that you have water and, and a lozenge close by. Also, you can just reach up and manually massage your throat if you feel like you've always got a tickle going on. I mean, just, you know, massage those muscles and try to help yourself out with that. Okay, excessive loudness or amount of talking. Really, it comes down to um, being aware of yourself and, and when, when and how you use your voice. So if you're single and you're basically not talking at all at home and yet you always feel vocally fatigued, well, take a look at how are you using your voice either socially out with your friends or at the office, you know. Um, conversely, if you're sitting at a computer and not really using your, your voice all day during your job, but you have three teenagers and you're constantly yelling upstairs, God damn, I can't be late, or whatever, you know, then um, just start um, paying attention to when you, and how you use your voice. And then, specifically for this group, how many of you are choir directors? How many of you are up in front of a group of people? Yeah, the majority of you. And I assume all of us are singers in some capacity, whether we're professional or not. We're, um, we're singing. Is that true? Everybody in here singing? Okay. So, so we then have to be cognizant of not only how we're using our speaking voice, but also how we're using our singing voice. But usually we're, pretty much, we're already thinking about our singing, but we don't realize, oh, yeah. When I yelled at the soccer game the other morning, that probably wasn't a, a good idea, you know. And so um, that's always kind of a, a, a disappointing reality for singers. Like, oh, I, I really can't do, I can't go to the football game when it's 10 below and I have a competition the next day. Or, um, you know, they have to, there have to be some adjustments, but also some adjustments for us as to how we use our voice. Um, I realized last night I was sitting in a noisy restaurant and I was, I was having a normal conversation, but when I walked out of there, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? You know, it was, I, and I didn't realize it at the time, but then you walk out and you just think, wow, okay, that, that environment was way too loud. And so if you're doing that to yourself consistently, that's a problem. Okay, um, so for those of you who are choir directors, singing along in rehearsals. How, how often is that just the quickest way to, to get the point across? Yeah. Try to find other ways. I, I mean, sometimes you just have to demonstrate. It just comes down to that. But you don't have to every time. And when they're all singing and you're singing around, they can't hear you, or they shouldn't be able to. If you're singing loud enough to where they can hear you over the whole choir and you don't have a microphone or anything, well, there's your problem. Yeah? And so, Stop them and demonstrate if you need to. Stop them and play it on the piano. 
Sopranos, if you're demonstrating for the basses, don't try to sing it down there. You can't, you know. Um, sing it up in your register or change the key entirely and sing it in a place that's comfortable for you if you're demonstrating a rhythm. But better, just don't don't sing it. Don't sing at them all the time. You know, find ways to, to talk about it and demonstrate on the, on the piano to help you. Um, I have to really keep this one in mind for myself too, the importance of warming up your voice before you do the rehearsal, taking care of your own, oh man, I don't do it. I'm racing out the door, you know, and barely got my teeth brushed, much, le much less warm up my voice, you know, but it's, um, it's really, really important. If you're going, even if you aren't going to sing a note all day, you are going to be using your voice. And you know, um, our, we're, we are wonderfully made, and one of the miracles of teaching is that our bodies mirror what we hear. So even if I'm not singing, my muscles are pretty much doing what my students' muscles are doing all day. So I'm going to be, in, in, and I can use that to my advantage as a teacher because, like, man, you sang that, and I just felt really tight right here. So I know something was going on, you know. Um, but then conversely, my muscles are doing what they're doing all day, and I might be teaching, you know, five and six hours straight in the day. And so if I have warmed up, I, I, I have myself in a much better situation. Those of you who are talking in front of a large group all the time, it's even more important for you to really, really just take, it takes 10 minutes maybe, especially if you're doing it every day and you're already in good shape, you know. Um, so I, I encourage you and I remind myself to um, do that for ourselves. All right, and the importance of singing appropriate repertoire for your voice type. If you're if you're you know doing working on solo things, just embrace the idea that you know. Okay, I'll tell a personal story. In graduate school, I wanted to be Madame Butterfly. I learned to die at the end, and they were like, "Well, sorry, you're Susanna." So I had to be the the cutesy little chambermaid, and I wanted to be the one that died at the end. You know, and after a while, you just have to go, okay, and accept what your voice is and not try to sing things outside of, but then more applicable to this group, again, don't sing along with the tenors if you're a soprano, or don't try, you know, uh, don't sing too high or too too low for yourself, just um, sing it in your register, play it, do something else. Okay, um, another thing that we do is that we talk outside of our optimum range. Now I'm going to break a rule here and tell you the, uh, the best way to find your optimum speech uh, pitch is to clear your throat. I'm sorry, don't make a habit of it, but you can clear your throat once to find that, and then, you know, but, and, and, it's, and it's hard not to do it in an effective way because you could clear your throat, and then assume you're supposed to talk up here, and that's not right, yeah, but whatever your natural, then that, you find that pitch level, and that is the optimum. Most of us, especially in this part of the country, tend to talk a little bit too low, and we talk low, the, the more um, tired we are, you know, as the day goes on. <laughs> and so because we're not using our bodies as much. So you want to try to find your optimum pitch, even for your speaking, especially if you're talking more. Okay? Are there any questions? Yes? I'm yes. saying that the, the first sound that you make after you clear your voice will be yeah. your optimum pitch. Well, well, it's in that actual throat clear itself. <clears> hmm. <throat> So I can kind of then find where that pitch is from that part there. Yeah. Any other questions about this material before we move on? I, I have a question, not a personal question. Uh, I was a voice major, mm -hmm. and then uh, after I got my master's degree, 
I guess I went through a lot of stress or something, mm -hmm. but I started having, I, I had what they call a, a vocal knot, not a nodule, but a granule. Mm. And it was caused, it, I was warming up one morning and I, and I could go about five notes and that was it. Wow. And for a month they couldn't find it and I had to go to a speech uh, therapist. And then they figured out it was reflux and it's, they call it a granule because it's caused by the reflux. That's interesting. I've never and, ever heard that term. Well, when they put me, after a month, they put me on antacids mm -hmm. and I could sing within two days. There you go. But since then, I have no falsetto at interesting. all. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I can't find it at all. Huh. And, uh, I've lost half is, of mine. Is there any, have you ever heard of anybody That's losing their falsetto? And then well, two people in the room now this morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, no, not really. I haven't. Um, and you know, as a as a classical teacher, we really don't. We use falsetto perhaps as a tool in vocalization, but we don't right. use it as a legitimate, right. you know, sound that you're no, going to want to make in a performance. Me. Yeah, and so we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about that. It just off the top of my head, I would also, and I, forgive me, I'm sure we're right at the, in the same generation, but it, it can be, and just as we mature, um, one of those things that starts to go away a little bit more too. Do you think that's what was happening with you? Well, that's been 20 oh. years. Oh, so you weren't so mature so. then. Mm -hmm. I don't know, um, but I'll, I'll be happy to kind of investigate that and, um, you know, if you want to uh, give me your contact okay. information. I'll, I'll see if okay. I find out anything. I'll, sure. I'll send you an email. Uh, whoops. Sorry, I didn't. Um, I don't have that information right off the top of my head. And vocal granule, that's brand new to me. I've heard of polyps and nodules and all sorts of bad things, but never granule. So, any other questions? Well, speaking of that, if you think that you have a physical issue, who is the best person to go to? Does just regu any regular EMT? Well, know um, about this, then, how to work with you? Or? Beyond the regular ENT are otolaryngologists, and those are voice specialists. Um, we have a fabulous one here in, in Waco. I mean, he's just top-notch. Um, there are some of the best in the country in Houston, and Robert Sadeloff is um, one of the top names, and he's in Philadelphia, you know, so more and more it's uh, the science of the voice, but those are the people who are going to understand your additional specific requirements if you're wanting to use your voice for singing. You know. So, um, We didn't talk about medications and that's one of the things um, I want to caution you. You know, we, we think, okay, I've got all this stuff in my head and I just want it out of there. So we take an antihistamine. Well, then that, what, what is that doing? It's drying up and thickening that mucus and making it stay there longer. So you might feel not as stuffy in your nose, but you've just thickened the mucus and guaranteed that it's going to hang around for longer, which is not what you want. So if you can possibly avoid antihistamines, do so. Um, the very best thing if you're wanting to get that on out of there is mucinex. That's an expectorant and it will thin the mucus and move it out. But when you start taking mucinex, double your water. Just really, really drink a lot of water. Um, and then the other thing, um, on medications, you know, you might just keep handy uh, some over-the-counter things to see if you can prevent things. It's an, an, an awareness being just, okay, I'm starting to feel a little little itchy in this ear, so I know that means, you know, in two days from now I'm going to be in trouble. And so just nip it in the bud. Um, so things like airborne, you know, any of those things that you can take to um, prevent. And then if I haven't prevented it 
quite quickly enough and I need a good over-the-counter thing, I like Zycam. But Mucinex is um, a great one. My otolaryngologist, for I have just a touch of allergies here in Central Texas, and so he uh, prescribes Singular. It is the least drying of all of the prescription medications that, um, that deal with allergies. It's S-I-N-G-U-L-A-I-R, Singular. Um, and that's, that's a good one. And I take it at night so that then, you know, it's had a chance to get into my system and it's not right there in the morning before I'm going to be using my voice all day. Yeah, so the generic of it now, so it's a lot cheaper. Okay. All right. Yes. Um, I've been taking high blood pressure medicine for mm -hmm. about 15 or 20 years. Mm -hmm. I noticed a really big difference when I started taking it, but I couldn't get anybody to confirm my suspicions. Um, mm -hmm. I have to have it. Do you have any... Is water again the what 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 were your symptoms from taking uh, it that affected your voice? It just made it weaker and I didn't have as as much power, mm -hmm. as much volume. Mm. And is it diuretic? I think it probably yeah, I think is. Diuretic. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, the water, water. So the yeah. water is the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you may have to switch medication too. Right. I had that same problem with a blood pressure medication. I was fine all week long until I'd get up on Sunday morning and try to leave the singing. And all of a sudden I'd sing a little bit, <laughs> sing a little bit. <laughs> I told my doctor, she said, well, that's one of the side effects. We'll put you on another medication. There you go. Yeah. yeah. yeah so you just experiment with different things. Again, you know, as we, all of us, as we mature, the elasticity in the muscles changes. And so the feeling of um, as much strength or as much range, um, those things start to, to change. You know, and um, and the way to deal with that then is to really stick with a, a regimen of warming up and, and keeping your body involved in the process of singing. Um, but then also, you know, I mean, I turned 50 this year, and I've been a soprano all my life. I'm planning my recital for January, and the the French set that I want to open with is just more comfortable in the low key now. And so mm -hmm. I'm going to sing at the low key, and I'm not going to beat myself up about that at all. You know. I just want it to, to sound good and easy and musical, and I'm not going to worry about the fact that it's two steps lower than, you know, how I would have sung it five years ago. Who cares? You know? So, no. So, um, that's just kind of part of what we have to accept, <laughs> along with that it's harder to, to move in the morning and all those other nice things. Okay, any other questions about this, about the handout and the information on this? Okay, so let's talk about the breath management and the breathing That's what we're, that's okay, what we're about to start on. Yes, yes, that is confusing because that's on the handout too, but we're about to start on that portion of it. Okay, so uh, the breath management that I teach and that the majority of American teachers teach is appoggio, and it comes from the Italian bel canto school. Its, um, uh, its root is the Italian verb appoggiare, which means to lean. Okay, so the idea is to try to maintain the position, the open, expanded position that you acquire when you take in the air, to try to maintain that position as you're using the air. Okay, so if we think about a normal breath cycle, and we breathe all day long, every day. So those of you who've already had the private lesson with me, this is a, a short repeat of what we talked about in there. But, you know, we're breathing all the time, and the majority of the time it is unconscious, right? When you, don't, you aren't thinking about your breath cycle while you're sound asleep. So our bodies already know how to expand, contract, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, right? So that is the normal breath cycle. So let's talk a little bit about what's actually happening when we take in that air. 
The air is coming into your lungs, all right? So the very first and most important thing is posture. Because if we're slumped over and those ribs are, you know, so this is all logical, but we don't always think about it um, in these terms. But if we're slumped over and, and then our lungs can't expand like they, they should. So posture is of the utmost importance. I would say that the quickest way to find your good posture is to have your feet shoulder width apart and to try to line up your heel with your hip with your shoulder and make sure that all of those are in line. If anything is you know, kind of slightly out of line with that, then you've got various problems. So everybody stand up and just be, give a little bit of thought to having those feet shoulder width apart and in line, straight up in line within your hips and then your shoulders, okay? So you've got a natural arch to your back. That's how your spine is naturally arching. So gentlemen, for whatever reason, you tend to like to tilt your pelvis forward just a little bit. Uh, allow that natural arch there. Women sometimes we can have too much of an arch so keep ourselves in line. All right, now a good way to find a nice relaxed inhalation is you take yourself from this position, keeping everything in line still, and bend your knees straight down. Guys, this is where you want to tilt that pelvis. You even tilted your pelvis there. Keep your, stick your bottom out just a little bit. Keep your natural arch, okay? Now, take in a breath for me. Yeah, did you feel um, perhaps a lot lower expansion than you are accustomed to feeling? Uh, if you're lined up and you're dropped down in this position, it, it is possible to get a lower, nicer release in those low abdominal muscles. Okay, so this is something you can do with your choir. Try it again. Yeah, so you just kind of allow your abdominal muscles to release in your body. Up. Okay, have a seat. If you, um, if you encounter someone, Cannot move. When you see them take a breath, the chest always picks up with every breath. That means that they're either not having the chest in the right position in the first place or they're allowing it to collapse as they use their air every time. So a good way to find the optimal chest position would be just to raise your arms over your head, lower your arms and release your shoulders, but leave your chest where it was. Okay, so the chest is nice and open or barrel, but those um, arms and shoulders are released. Um, was it with you yesterday that I kept, that I finally said shake your hands? Yeah, um, he, he was trying, he was keeping that chest apparel. Yeah. yeah, and so I finally said shake your hands and, and he was able then to maintain the chest position but the arms were released. Sorry to um, give out your secrets there. <laughs> um, so that's a, just a kind of a quick way to, to release that without necessarily having to lose that chest position, okay? So with that inhalation, you know, people, you'll say, um, People say, oh, you want to take a good diaphragmatic breath. Now, they'll indicate all the way down here. Well, but that's logical, because when you do take a good diaphragmatic breath, you will feel an expansion that low, but your diaphragm is not that low in your body, okay? <laughs> the diaphragm is actually up under those ribs. So, you know, that bottom rib is right here. So your diaphragm is actually about this high in your body. It's attached to the ribs and the spine and the, and the lungs. And so when those lungs expand down and the ribs open out, the diaphragm is flattened and widened just a bit. When that happens, every single thing in your uh, abdominal cavity shifts, all of it. Small intestine, large intestine, colon, kidneys, liver, stomach, everything shifts. And so we want to just release those muscles to allow that shift to happen in the most relaxed manner. Okay, so that's the inhalation. And when we are sound asleep, our body is actually doing that. That is very natural, okay? Then the, the next natural thing that happens is we exhale 
and everything moves back up and the ribs come in and the diaphragm ascends but is singing a natural breath cycle no what is unnatural about it you don't just you'd have two notes yeah we're sustaining a phrase okay so we are trying to delay that natural collapse as much as we can. Now we don't want to delay it by looking because we'll hear that in the voice. Yeah, you want to delay it in a very elastic manner, okay? Really thinking of the elasticity in those muscles and trying to maintain a dynamic but open position, okay? So, there are some things involved in that. First of all, these intercostal muscles, muscles between the ribs, must be engaged to keep that rib cage open. Okay, that's the very first thing. If the rib cage has collapsed, then the whole is kind of a chain reaction, and the ab abdominal muscles will not respond like they're supposed to. So it's a matter, and it's really not a strength issue. It doesn't take a lot of strength to keep that rib cage up, but it's a coordination issue. It's finding where those muscles are and then being able to, to open that up. So I'm gonna ask you to stand up one more time. Now, we are going to do an inhale, suspend, exhale exercise, okay? So I'm going to, you don't have to do it right now, but I'm gonna say inhale, two, three, four, five, suspend, two, three, four, five, exhale, and you're doing it on a s, exhale, two, three, four, five. Okay, in the suspend portion of that, you will find, oh, that you, that you engage those muscles to keep your body open. So I want you to be aware, you're gonna feel it about here, okay? It's just gonna, and there, it's a very slight little thing, these little intercostal muscles, but, but that's going to keep your chest open. Then I want you to be aware of maintaining that while you're going on the exhale, okay? You don't have to try to tuck anything in. You have to focus on staying open as you exhale, okay? Are we ready? So let's get in, down into it. So remember our shoulders, hips, heels are all in line, and you're just bending your knees straight down. You're not tilting your pelvis. You're keeping your natural arch to your back. We're going to take in a breath. Inhale, two three, four, five, suspend, two, three, four, five, exhale, two, three, four, five. Yeah, and so you could have gone a lot longer than five. And as you're doing this and building this, you can increase the count, okay? So you start with five, then you go to six, seven, whatever. So what did you feel then? Did you, were you able to feel what I was talking about? Of the, that it was just this little? Engagement there, not a real or anything. It's just a little, just a little engagement, right? Did you? Did everyone feel it? Okay, let's try it again. Inhale, two, three, four, five. Suspend, two, three, four, five. Exhale, two, three, four, five, six. Until you're out, and then take another just nice open breath by just opening your throat and releasing your abdominal muscles and see how much air you get in. Out, you're still suspended, you're still keeping that chest out, okay? And when you're ready, release those abdominal muscles and open your throat. Isn't that one of the best breaths you've ever taken? Just a vacuum is created by your body and you get all this air in. Yeah. Okay, good. Have a seat. Any questions about that? Yes, no? Yes. I work with children. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the first thing they always do is raise yes. their shoulders. Mm -hmm. And having the instrumentalist not knowing I was going to use my voice the rest of the mm -hmm. don't have as much. So what would you suggest 
these kind of these kinds of things also a, you know a really quick thing if it won't if they won't end up then hanging from the rafters afterwards if there's room to have them stretch out flat on the floor um, and you can put like a book or something on there because you know they will see that book raise up and when you're on the floor and then your chest is automatically already in the right position you can't have the collapsed chest so that's a good quick way. Another um, thing that I have been doing all year, and it's, this is the, the most interesting, this is kind of, okay, this is the studio miracle quick fix for everyone. Um, because no matter what their problem was, this if they did this, it sort of it fixed it. It was amazing. Um, I call it flipping the piano. <laughs> Those of you who have already had that lesson with me um, have had to do this. We, If you look, if you Look at my alignment. I am keeping everything in line, even while I've been down. So I'm still in this position that we just found. But I'm getting to where I'm right under this piano, like I'm, gonna, I'm getting a little bit of resistance with my hands, like I'm going to try to flip it over. And that opens those, it engages those um, intercostal muscles again. And then, I mean, you can stand there and sing from that position, and you don't have to think about anything. You don't have to think about keeping it open. It is open as long as you're still trying to flip the piano. And I know when you see that and you haven't experienced it, you think, it doesn't. It just engages right here and then your mind is free. When you do all of this and the abdominal muscles are engaged appropriately, then that's what stabilizes the larynx. And then you have all this nice resonance and the freedom to, to do what you're supposed to do. And your tongue and lips and jaw and all those things that want to join in and try to help support the sound are free to just be articulators, which is their only job in this instance. Now, any other questions about that? So that is Apoggio. Um, and I would, I've listed Richard Miller there for you, a wonderful, rather technical, uh, but wonderful explanation of the whole idea of Apoggio, if you'd like to uh, research that further. But really, it, you could corner 20 voice teachers from America in a room, and probably all 20 of them teach a pacho. They might talk about it a little bit differently, but it's the same general idea. There are other, um, you know, the kind of English back breathing method, that, and, and then there's the method where, you know, you pull in and up from, from your knees, practically, to sing. And, you know, and I think, well, why? Because that's what your body's wanting to do already anyway. You know, so we didn't need any help collapsing. <laughs> so, um, so those are uh, that, that's a really good resource to explain this this process and this technique. Okay, so warming up your voice or the voices in your choir. I recommend no matter what the voice type, start in the middle part of the voice, the middle range, the comfortable speaking part of the range. So, women. Uh, now, terminology. Uh, you know, in the classical world, the operatic way of classifying voice types, those of you who are singing alto or you have altos in your choir, we refer to them as mezzo-sopranos, okay? They're very, very true, very few true contraltos. Few do exist, and maybe they were true contraltos because they smoked back a day, you know, that's why, but, but you know, um, really as far as true voice types, um, the what we call in the classical operatic world mezzo-sopranos are the ones that should be singing alto in the choir. Okay. And then, and mezzos are, mezzo-soprano is a category of soprano. So almost every female voice that you're working with is just a type of soprano, okay? Um, and it's, as with all stereotypes, it's kind of dangerous to say, okay, well, all first sopranos are the same, because of course they aren't. 
But in general, if you start in D major, five note scales, this is the A above middle C. This would be a very safe middle range for just about every female voice type, okay? So um, I start here, or maybe even C sharp major for my mezzos, but there's not, not much difference here, okay? And so when you're first starting out, I recommend, you know, the first singing of the day, I recommend descending five note scales. It's something just really easy right here in the middle of the voice to get the voice going. Guys, it's going to be the same exercise for, and the majority of male voices are some sort of baritone, yeah? Uh, that's just your average, that's, you know, an average. And so for your baritones, I would do the same thing in octave down. So D major again, and it's the A right below middle C that we're starting on. Tenors, I would bring it up to E major to start on a B natural. B natural right below. Okay. In the same general vicinity. So what we want to do is uh, descending scales and going down by half steps. So I would start with on some sort of a lip trill or a rolled R. Let your, let your singers choose. Okay. Some people find it really easy to do. Yeah. Some can't roll their. Let them choose and keep, but get, get, just get it buzzing. So, everybody want to go with me, guys? And, and women, so here we go. But again, we aren't trying to make a lot of sound down there. We're just moving air and buzzing. And so you tell them if you're if you're vocalizing a groove, tell them to, just like I just did. Just if it starts to get too low, just drop out. Okay. All right. Then this very same thing. After you've done the lip trill, do the same thing on ooh. And then the same thing with a forward vowel. You're going to do a pa 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 pa. The P is just to keep those articulators involved and to um, try not to use the jaw. If you see them. Pa 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 pa. It's too much. Okay, just pa 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 pa. The jaw will move a little bit, but it's mostly about the lips. So that guy descending half steps, exact same, uh, you know, musical patterns here. And then on a four, about pee 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 pee. Okay, so lip trill or rolled R. Ooh, pa, pee on the, those same notes. Okay. So then I would again start in D major for most voice types, and I like to do a lot of staccato things because it's very, now, this is what I like to do with the solo voice. I don't know that this would be as helpful with choral, but if you're wanting to find a way to warm up your, your, your voice yourself, the, the staccato is very revealing because if I went, then you know I've got too much air, that's a soft onset, I've got too much air coming through before my vocal folds are closing. Or if I went, ee, ee, that's a hard onset, and so that glottal stroke and too much of that will cause some fatigue as well. So we want to coordinate, and the only way I can coordinate that is to be using my entire body, you know, engaging all that. So it's very revealing right off the bat if you're dealing either with your own voice or somebody else, okay, oh, that one wonder because I went, and I knew that something got off there with my support. So I just tend to, uh, first one's to go to on again, down by his steps for a while on that. 
Um, other things to kind of test that onset and to get a buoyancy and a connection to the body. Some, um, some onset and release exercises, just Okay, so staccato, legato, staccato, but a clean release between each one. It's harder than you might think. Try it with me. So staccato, legato, staccato, but you have to have a clean release in between. Let, let me demonstrate one more time. Release after that legato one that'll, that'll trip you up if you aren't careful. Okay, here we go. Yeah, see, so about half of you didn't get off of it. So, E, E, E. Clean release, okay? Yeah, and so even when you did get off of it, then they weren't all clean, were they? Because so, I heard some E, 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 <laughs> right? So that was a hard release. Very, very revealing, not difficult for your ear, but something that, that makes you very aware of coordinating with that support system, okay? So I like to do those as well. Then I start to gradually work out to a little bit higher part of the range. So uh, F major with a C then on top, the octave above, middle C for the women, and it would be middle C for the guys. And we go through all the vowels. then all of a sudden everything's kind of uncoordinated but you will find your coordination very quickly by doing this and then you can add threes
I'm going to start here in B flat. Okay, so B flat right below middle C. starting over in that in that head voice place now our jaws you know as I said earlier we we use these muscles to chew a steak at least that's how I used mine last night at dinner time you know um, and that is not at all how we want to engage our jaw for singing so um, just an awareness of finding a release it is possible to hyperextend your jaw pull it down too far so choral directors please please don't don't go to your choir. Just don't do that anymore. If they pull their jaw down too far, place your uh, fingers up here on the side of your face where you would have sideburns, ladies, even though we don't. But where, you know, right there along that. Now, without harming yourself, open your jaw really far. You feel all of that tension, all that bulge there? All right, now, tense your clench you feel it again all right now just go just go yeah and what do you notice about your soft palate when you do this that's the most lift you get inside from any of it okay so the optimum jaw position is whatever is released not hyperextended and not clenched okay so it is possible to over open your jaw and if you're having problems with um, intonation problems if they're flatting up on the top, they might have their jaw too far open. I know this uh, that's rare. Most of the time when you're dealing with untrained singers, they're not going to open their mouth enough. Guaranteed, yes. But occasionally you'll have somebody who's hyperextending and they don't have a prayer singing in tune up there. Their soft palate is so rigid they cannot get over into head voice. Okay? So what I've watched Alan Rains, who's the director of choral activities here, I've watched him with his choir go this is what he does when he wants them to open their mouth and that's great you know it's not it's just then they're focused on releasing this so you're still communicating that you want that release there but you're communicating it in a way that's not going to you know have your overachievers getting themselves in trouble by hyperextending their jaw okay does that help a person that you have in your choir that Things like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because in addition to releasing the jaw, you can kind of encourage them to, you know, use their fingers here to just keep their mouth position a little more neutral. Yeah. yeah. It's not correct to round for every vowel either, but, you know, our, our lip vowels are the rounded ones. The E's and A's and that everyone wants to spread, those are tongue vowels. The lips don't, are not supposed to be involved in those at all. Okay. So, of course, there's some lips um, that might try and think, are there, is there ever a reason to spread like that in a consonant either? I don't really think so. And we're, sus we're sustaining the sound on the vowel. So, you know, if it's an E, it doesn't ever have to look like E, E, E. It's all about my tongue. It's not about this at all. 
And if I'm going, ooh, so if you're from Texas, you know, Texans, we don't really like to move our lips. <laughs> and so, ooh, 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 that's a very new feeling for, for most of us. Okay, so that's all my formal presentation. I would love for you to continue asking any questions, things you've encountered. Yes, sir. I'm sure that most of us have more than just a few senior adults in our choir, <laughs> and particularly sopranos. Mm -hmm. How do we help them to sing higher, and I'm talking E flats and E's, yeah. uh, in a non-threatening way to them? Right. Well. Uh, all of this onset, this finding, this connection to the body in a really buoyant and specific way will help. The, the, what starts to happen as we experience across the board with all of our, our muscles as we get more mature um, is we're losing elasticity, okay? Things just aren't responding quite like they used to. And so that's true of the vocal folds as well. So the reason, and, and the reason it's more prominent, you hear it sooner and more, the sopranos, is, you know, it's higher. And to sing high, your vocal folds are stretching long and meeting on really thin closure. And so if they don't have as much elasticity, then we start getting the, the wappies going on, you know, in case of the wappies is what I call it. So, <laughs> so but that just means we need to use our body more. So everything you can do to, you know, if there's any sort of physical thing of just getting them, you know, moving their heels or something, but get get bodies active and, and, um, and then find some of those onset things down in the comfortable part of the range, you know, reminding us how to connect, that will help that. But yeah, it's going to be the most challenging with Sopranos, for sure. So if you've got a lot of that and you mostly have untrained and, and maturing Sopranos, then I would really recommend you, you choose your repertoire accordingly. You know, just, or transpose, but then, you know, don't get your guys in trouble. But, no. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I, do, I one of the ways that the bright, bright E vowel that in East Texas, we can really have mm -hmm. a train wreck with mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. to, to, to sing it through an OO opening, to get the, and it doesn't always fix everything, but at least they hear mm -hmm. the difference. It's true, but you know, that's another thing, and you know, um, choral directors and voice teachers have, have you know, warred with one another about certain things, and mostly it's vibrato. Um, but this is another one, and I, and I understand you're dealing with an entire group, and you want to find something that will fix that, but sometimes you create other problems. With or at stuff. least show them what that yes. sound is. Yes, I think, I think it would be more helpful to just first of all tell them that E is not, not a lip vowel. There are no lips in E. So if they first, I mean, that is truth. You don't have to say E through an ooze base. That's a, that's a quick fix. But a truth is that there, there do not need to be any lips involved in E. So your, your, your tongue vowels are E, I, E, E, A, and then bright ah like if you're from Boston, you're going to your car, okay? And you see, I didn't move my lips. E, I, E, E, A, and I made it all the way through those. My lip vowels are U, U, O, O, A. Yeah, so I gradually got less rounded. So I think that, you know, treat them like they're intelligent 
beings and, and just say, don't use your lips there. And if they are not aware that they're using their lips, then have them feel this, you know. But I don't know that's necessary to go all the way to, ooh. that's just my opinion. Because you could over, you, you will always have your person that, oh, she said, she must be talking to me. And they're going to, they're going to fix it ten times because anything worth doing is worth overdoing, right? You know, that's me. I'm the, I'm the, I've got to please you, um, you know, I'm going to just take this to the extreme. Um, and so then I would cause other problems, you know, when it probably wasn't me that needed to fix it in the first place, you know. And so you're going to have those people in your choir, and then the one you were really needing to fix is over there still oblivious going, ee, you know. Or ten of those. Or they didn't hear you. Exactly. Because they were talking to their neighbor. No, they can't hear. Well, again, you know, like any classification of people, every individual, yeah. So, mezzo-soprano, it really is not even as much about range. It, yes, it is a bit. But it's more about timbre, vocal color, and where the registration events happen. Okay, so people talk about their break like it's a character flaw. It's not, folks. It's an acoustical event. It's going to happen. Okay, um, in classical training, we're trying to make it to where it is not audible. But if you think about the registers of the voice like colors, you don't just go from white to black. You do have to go through shades of gray, maybe not 50 of them, sorry. Um, um, you do have to go through gray to get there, but you wouldn't just do, you know. Now, in pop style, who, who can I think of? Oh, like, I don't know anybody really current, but, you know, the whole Mariah Carey thing where she would almost do a yodel thing to flip. Yeah, and that was her style, but that would be just dreadful classical now she singing. Sing. Well yeah. And that's a that's a really good instrument. A really, really good instrument. But um but you know that you would never choose to do that in classical singing. But she made a lot of money doing it that way. Made a whole lot more money than I've made with my my clean register transition. So there you go. So just ignore me and go out there and go. <laughs> so um okay, you were asking specifically. So I would say in general um, register events, so I'm going to talk about it from the point of register events, okay? So register events for most sopranos, um, something must happen to get over into head voice between D at the top of the staff and F sharp at the top of the staff, okay? By the time you're over to G, it's, it needs to be head voice for, for everybody, yeah. okay? Um, in my opinion, uh, the, the mezzo spot would be B flat on the staff up through C sharp. In my opinion, all sopranos could start thinking about going into some sort of gray area at B flat, so that by the time we get to D and E flat, it's not such a crisis. You know, I am a soprano, but I'm a lyric, a fuller voice soprano, and I better be doing something than a B flat. If 
I waited, I, I don't even, I can't. I can't carry a chest voice through there. I can't, I couldn't belt and held a gun in my hand. Um, okay, so then, uh, con true contraltos, I, I mean, I don't know. I think, you know, it's down around G, above the middle C, that things happen, and, and certainly for everybody, E flat right above uh, C. But as far as real range, that's going to vary. With the, You've got high, high sopranos who have lower notes than some mezzos. It's more about the color. And guys, um, it's sort of pretty much true that it's all just shifted a, an octave down, okay? Basses must, 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 must make a major change at B flat before middle C. Um, uh, baritones, you know, that D, E flat, E natural spot is pretty crucial so that F, F sharp can happen. And tenors, it can, it can then be higher, the E flat, E, F, F sharp, but we've got to be in head voice by G. Is that what you find true? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, it really is about where those shifts start to happen. That's why I do so much descending stuff because as much as you can encourage a singer to get through that without carrying weight up through it, especially when you're first warming up the voice, the better off you'll be. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm a bass baritone, mm -hmm. and uh, lately, I mean for the last several years, the C below middle C has been giving me tons. Yeah, it's of like a hole in the voice, fuzzy, right? Yes. Yes. Um, I yes, that ha that happens. That's a. Is it, that's, is it age? Is it just not no, warming up correctly? Not I using think that it correctly is a enough. Typical kind of baritone problem spot. You know, it um, it can just fuzz out on you there, and you go, yeah. I I got all this above it. I got all this below. What's you know, it's like a hole in my voice. Um, so I would do a lot of descending stuff there, and mostly that's your middle voice area. As much focused singing as you can do, I would hum through there and find you'll find it feels really, really small to you because it's in that hum place. But then sing it that focused and really buzz through your consonants. Don't try to because you're probably thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm not making any sound, so I'm gonna push more air through my, and then it just gets fuzzier. Right. So do the do the opposite, really, really focus it and see if that helps. Okay. But do a lot of descending through stuff through there, come down, bring your, your lighter singing down into that. Yes, ma'am. Can that occur, that whole, from years of speaking in the classroom, like you lose those pitches? Probably. Middle C, D, C. I mean, I would think years of speaking might create some difficulties that then would result. I mean, it might be a chain reaction. But it's like I, I, like it's a hole there, I have below and above, mm -hmm. but right there it's, I can't get by yeah, when there's when there's a hole in the voice, I generally think that we're trying to approach it with too much, too much resonance, not enough simplicity and focus, and that we're generally bringing too much weight up into it. So say the same thing to you. I just said to, to the gentleman back there that uh, lots of descending stuff and very focused, buzzy consonants. I think we are perhaps out of time. It's been a pleasure.